Would you look back at John chapter 7 with me? Verse 39. John chapter 7, verse 39. But this spake he of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. God is one God in three distinct persons God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Lord Jesus at this time is speaking of God the Holy Spirit. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. When he gives him, you receive him. The reason you receive him is he gave him. For the Holy Ghost was not yet. That's what I've entitled this message. The Holy Ghost was not yet. And here's why. Because that Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Ghost was not yet. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now look back up in verse 38. He that believeth on me. I want to be one of those people, don't you? To him that worketh not, but believeth. On him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Let me tell you something that you cannot do both. You can't work and believe. If you're working, you're not believing. If you're believing, you're not working. He that believeth on me, verse 38, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You believe out of your belly, your innermost being, the work done on the inside, out of your belly shall flow continuously, never ceasing, rivers of living water. Turn back to John chapter 4 for a moment. The Lord says to the woman at the well in verse 10, John chapter 4. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God. Don't miss that word gift. No strings attached. 
free gift. And who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him. And he would have given thee living water. That's what we just read about in John chapter 7. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? She didn't know what he was talking about. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? She demonstrates from that. She doesn't know who she's talking to, does she? Are you greater than Jacob? Yeah. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. You can say that with regard to everything in this world. You shall thirst again. You may find some temporary satisfaction, but it won't last very long at all. And you shall thirst again. But... Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water. Just like the Lord said in John chapter 7. A well of water. Springing up into everlasting life. Now, what is it to not thirst? to be satisfied when you're thirsty you drink your thirst is quenched but this is a continual satisfaction it's being satisfied with being saved by Christ you're not looking for anything else nothing can be compared to him you're satisfied to have his righteousness as your only righteousness before God you're satisfied with his sin payment. You know sin's paid for. I stand before God without guilt. You're not looking for something else. I don't know how many times. I've said this I don't know how many times. But I've, I've heard people say there's got to be something more. Well you haven't seen it in the first place then. There is nothing more. He's made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption. Are you satisfied with that? Are you satisfied with being accepted in the beloved? Now, I know you're not satisfied with yourself. I'm not satisfied with myself either. As long as we're still seeing, we're never going to be satisfied in that sense. But oh, how satisfied we are with Jesus Christ being saved by him. I'm not looking for anything else. I got it. With regard to everything else, the only thing I'm satisfied with is that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, everything. Every. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I'm satisfied with that. I'm satisfied with 
knowing that everything that takes place in my life and yours, he's working it together for my good and his glory. Now, with regard to everything, I'm satisfied to be saved by Christ. And the only thing that gives me any relief with regard to everything else is that I don't have anything to worry about. God is in control of everything and is causing everything, and that means all things, to work together for my good and his glory. You're satisfied when you find satisfaction in what God is satisfied with, the person and work of his son. You're satisfied. Are you? Is this a well of water springing up in you? You're satisfied with Christ. You're not satisfied with yourself. You're not satisfied really with anybody else in a sense. But you're satisfied with Jesus Christ. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down. And he sat down for this one singular reason. The father was completely satisfied with what he did. That's why I raised him from the dead. He was completely satisfied with what he did. Back to our text in John chapter 7. Verse 38, he that believeth on me, he trusts me as everything in his salvation. I am relying only on Jesus Christ. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And that's talking about the continual satisfaction we have with Christ. But... This spake he of the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. The reason you have flowing out of your belly rivers of living water is this, his Spirit, his Spirit in you. This spake he of the Spirit, which they which believe on him should receive. Now, do I remember, in my experience, consciously receiving the Holy Spirit? No. He was given to me. And when God gives, you receive. If you don't receive, he never gave. But when he gives, you receive. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, he's the third person of the one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When the Lord taught his disciples to baptize, he said, baptizing them in the name. Every time I baptize someone, you'll notice I say this, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what the Lord said to do. Uh, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. God is one God in three distinct persons. God the Holy Spirit is God the Holy Spirit. When Ananias lied, Peter said to him, Why hath Satan filled your heart to lie unto the Holy Ghost? 
Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. God, the Holy Spirit. He's just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. And he's just as much a person as God the Father and God the Son. Now, he doesn't have a physical body, but he's a person. He's spiritual. He's omnipresent. He's here right now. He's everywhere. He's God the Holy Spirit, and he dwells in his people. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. He's called in the Scripture the Holy Spirit. Holy. Other. There's no one like him. He's called the Spirit of Truth. The Spirit of of grace, the eternal spirit, the spirit of promise, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of adoption, the comforter. Don't you love his name as the comforter? I need comforted, don't you? He is the creator. He is the author of scripture. Peter tells us that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Every word in this book is inspired by the Spirit of God. He that can create the universe can inspire men to write a book and keep it preserved. He is the one who Conceive Christ in the womb of the virgin. Scripture tells us that, conceived by the Holy Ghost. He is the author of the new birth. That which is born of the Spirit. If you're born again, it's because God the Holy Spirit birthed you and gave you life. Born from above. He inhabits the preaching of the gospel. Peter speaks of they which have preached the gospel with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, and all of our experience of the gospel of Jesus Christ is through the Holy Spirit. When you believe the gospel, you know why you do? Because of God the Holy Spirit. His work in salvation is just as essential as the work of the Father and the work of the Son. The work of the Father, electing who would be saved before time began. (laughs) I love the God of election. The work of the Son in redeeming His people and putting away their sins. I love the work of the Son in redemption, don't you? And the work of God the Holy Spirit giving you a new nature and indwelling in you, causing you to believe the gospel. Now what is meant when he says in verse 39, for the Holy Ghost was not yet. The Holy Ghost was not yet. 
he's eternal God, so that certainly does not mean he had not yet come into existence. That's even blasphemous to think of that. He's the eternal spirit. It does not mean Old Testament believers were not born again. They were spiritually dead and had to give, be given life by the Spirit. Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. David said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. When the Lord was speaking to Nicodemus and told him he must be born again and born of the Spirit, Nicodemus said, how can these things be? And the Lord replied, Art thou a master in Israel and knowest not these things? This is what the Old Testament has always taught. Ezekiel 26, 36, 26, a new heart will I give thee. And a new spirit will I put within you. I'll put my spirit within you. Now, he is obviously not saying Old Testament saints didn't have the Holy Spirit. And he didn't begin into the New Testament. But before the coming of Christ, his life and his death... Salvation was primarily for that little tiny nation, Israel, wasn't it? Did the Amorites have a tabernacle? Did the Hittites have a written revelation from God? Now, there were some Gentiles saved, and it was always God's purpose to save Gentiles. Uh, but at first, it was just for the Jews. The atonement wasn't for anybody but for Israel. And it was a very small scale. I mean, you think of the nations that had no revelation from God. That, and that's, this is scriptural. There was, salvation was of the Jews. It wasn't for the rest of the world. But notice this word. The Holy Ghost was not yet. He was not yet uh, in his fullness speaking to the world because that Jesus was not yet glorified. That's why it was not yet. Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, what does that mean? Turn to John chapter 12. Verse 23. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come. And he's talking about the hour of his death. The time for him to be nailed to a cross. The hour of his death. The hour of is come. He said, what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour. But for this cause came I into this hour. This time of being nailed to a cross. Father, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now that's talking about the hour of his death. His death on the cross is him being glorified. The Lord Jesus on the cross is not an object of pity. You remember when he said to the daughters of Jerusalem, daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves. 
understand that he was in complete control at this time. When those men lifted up the hammer to drive the nails into his hands and feet, guess who gave him strength to do it? He did it. When they come to arrest him, I love this. Whom seek ye, Jesus of Nazareth? I am. And they fall back, driven back by invincible power, laying there on the ground. He was letting them know, you're in my hands at this time. My will is being done. I'm in control of you. You're not in control of me. I am controlling this event. The time of my glorification. The death of Christ on the cross is the eternal purpose of God. He's called the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This is God's eternal purpose to glorify His Son. The cross of Christ was not God's response to the fall of Adam. Well, Adam messed this up, therefore I'm going to come up with the cross. No, the fall of Adam was, was specifically for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 17, verse 4, the Lord said, I've glorified thee on the earth. I have finished. The work thou gavest me to do. Now, when I think of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, let me give you four or five. You know, when I talk about the cross, Christ, let me give you this. I, I, I think, what a, I can't give you anything. Uh, only the Lord can speak to us, and I pray that the Lord speaks through this. But the cross of Christ is the greatest act of obedience that this world has ever seen. Son, go be nailed to a cross. Yes, Father. It was the greatest act of trust this world has ever seen. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him he trusted his father completely even when he was being nailed to the cross somebody had to believe God perfectly and guess what it ain't me and you it's him he believed God perfectly it's the greatest act of love this world will ever know. He loved his father so supremely that he was willing to die rather than let his father's honor and law, his father's law be dishonored. What an act of love to his father. What an act of love to his people that he would love me so much and so much is a is not a good way. I mean, we're, we're uh, to describe this because we're just fighting for words, but that he would love me so much that he would go to the cross for me. Greater love hath no man than this, 
that a man laid down his life for his friends. As the Father hath loved me, listen, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. The cross magnified every attribute of God. Magnified his justice. He's not going to let sin go unpunished. Magnified his grace, that he'd be so gracious. It magnified his wisdom. That he, in his infinite wisdom, made a way to be absolutely just and justify somebody like me so I stand before God without guilt, sinless, having never sinned. That's what that means. What wisdom. What power in putting away my sin. What power in making me just like Christ. But every attribute of God, all who God is, is displayed in the cross of Christ. That's why uh, Christ was glorified in the cross. We don't feel sorry for him. Oh, we, we, we feel pained at the, th- the thought of him being made sin. We feel pained at the thought of his physical pain. I, I realize all that, but the cross of Christ this is his greatest glory. It's the very glory of God. This is what the Holy Ghost bears witness to. Let me show you this in Hebrews 10. Hold your finger there in John 12 and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Now, if the Holy Spirit is bearing witness to my spirit and your spirit right now, this is what he's bearing witness to. Look in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by one offering, his death on the cross, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof? The Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. This is what the Holy Spirit bears witness to. Believer, troubled over your sin? We ought to be. But listen to this. You're perfected forever. Right now, you are perfected forever. Through his one offering. On the cross. And that is what the Holy Spirit bears witness to. John chapter 16. Now the Lord expands on what was meant by saying the Holy Ghost was not yet. This passage of Scripture will tell us exactly what that means. The Holy Ghost was not yet. That doesn't mean he didn't begin to exist until then, nor does it mean that he didn't work in the lives of every one of God's elect till then. But this is talking about when the gospel comes to the Gentiles. It had been limited to that tiny Jewish nation for many centuries. And you can't read the scriptures and conclude anything else. That's what the scriptures teach. But now 
The gospel's wide open to all men. If any man, don't you love that? If any man, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. John chapter 16, verse 5. But now I go my way to him that sent me. I love that phrase, him that sent me. The Father sent him. I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And now he's going back to the one who sent him. And none of you asketh me whither goest thou. They might have been thinking it, but they didn't ask it. But because I've said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. He tells them he's leaving them. Sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, verse 17, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. This is what you need. This is necessary for you. You have to have this. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. That's talking about God the Holy Spirit. You see, his coming to me is totally uh, tied to the death and the glorification of Christ. You know why the Holy Spirit comes to me? Because Christ died for me. If Christ didn't die for me and go back to the Father, he wouldn't come to me. I wouldn't have any experience of God the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter. What a name for the Holy Spirit. The Comforter. When you're enabled to rest in Christ and have comfort that all God requires of you, you have in Christ. That's God, the Holy Spirit, speaking to your heart. He's in you. He dwells in you. He comforts. Every believer is a God-bearer. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in you. Every Thought you have of love for Christ, that's God the Holy Spirit in you. That's him giving you this birth that causes you to be that way. But if I depart, he's talking about going back to the Father after, he, after his resurrection, his ascension back to the Father, I'll send him unto you. Now, this is a promise to every believer. I'll send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove or convict or convince the world. No longer just the Jews. The world. The same world that God so loved that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have 
everlasting life. Now, obviously, the world doesn't mean every individual in the world because every individual in the world, without exception, does not have God the Holy Spirit. But he's just talking about the world, Jews, Gentiles, uh, Americans, British, Russians, Muslims, whoever he saves, everybody. The world. He's the Savior of the world. I love his name. He's the Savior of the world. And when he has come, he will convince the world of these three things. Of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now here is the work of the Holy Spirit. If he works in you, if he works in me, this is what he's going to convince us of. First, Sin. Sin. And he tells us what that means, verse 9, of sin, because they believe not on me. Sin causes so many problems. Sin is such a horrible thing, what it does to men. But you have not been convicted by the Holy Spirit of sin until you've been convicted of this fact. You don't believe on Christ, and you can't believe on Christ unless he gives you the grace to. As long as you believe in free will, that you can just, whenever you decide you can believe, you've never been convicted of sin, you're clueless. You've been convicted of sin when you see you can't believe. And it's only when you see you can't believe that you ask the Lord to give you faith. And he gives it to you. That's the way it works. You don't decide to believe. You believe when he causes you to believe. And you ask him. You ask him. You have not because you ask not. He that asketh receiveth. You're going to ask him for faith. And he's going to give it to you. You're going to see that faith is beyond your grasp. That you just can't up and believe that you're unable to do anything. That's when you're convicted of sin. When you're convicted of this thing that you can't believe. And I'll tell you what, everybody that's convicted that they can't believe, those are the only people who believe. God gives them faith. They understand that faith is the gift of God. It's not the product of of the flesh. It's not the product of their free will. It's the gift of God. Salvation is by grace. By grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. You're convinced of sin. When you find out you can't believe. And beloved everybody finds out they can't believe. God gives them faith. Why, do you, why is it that you know you can't believe? God the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, he's convicted you. He's taught you something. Secondly, of righteousness. Look in verse 10. Remember, he'll convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Now you become convinced that the only righteousness there is is the righteousness that he brings to the Father. You know, you can't see your righteousness right now because he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But you know he's your righteousness. And he goes to the Father. You know, 
that your righteousness is as filthy rags. You know that. You are sure that the only righteousness you have is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the one that he brings to the Father. You're convinced. You're convinced. And then he says in verse 11, of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. You are convinced that all judgment took place on the cross. You know, Satan was defeated on the cross. Well, he was defeated before the foundation of the world. There's never, it's, it's, you know, I hate it when people talk about uh, almost like God and de the devil are in this fight. No, no, the devil's under his thumb. He, the devil's God's devil. Uh, he's under his complete, uh, he's doing it, he's, he's working out his purpose. Uh, but he was judged. He was destroyed on the cross. And I, I love thinking about this. I, can you imagine you thinking, I, I won. I won. He, he thought, I, I've won. He didn't know he was being destroyed and his head was crushed and his power was broken. Satan was judged. But you know what else? I was too. My sin was judged and put away on the cross. All judgment took place on the cross. If God the Holy Spirit has been my teacher, if God the Holy Spirit has been your teacher, you're taught these three things. And this is what he teaches the world. Everybody that he teaches, not Jews only, but Gentiles, wherever, he teaches them these three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Verse 12. He says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you can't bear them now. <laughs> Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. Now, let me stop. You hear preachers talking about the Holy Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Preachers are always speaking of the speaking in tongues and the Holy Spirit and all the stuff they, you know, the Holy Spirit. Spirit doesn't speak of himself. He speaks of Christ. His office is to glorify Christ. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he'll show you things to come. You know, I know the future. Judgment day. All the elect will be justified. And everybody else will be condemned. He, verse 14, shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. Now, when the Lord said he's not yet, the Holy Ghost is not yet, because the Son of Man was not yet glorified. 
But he has died. And the Holy Spirit is. And may he work saving faith in the heart of each person here. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for the Spirit of Christ. How we thank you for who you are. How we thank you for who your Son is. How we thank you for who your Spirit is. Lord, we bow before the one God and three distinct persons. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace. And we pray that you would convince us by your Spirit. Lord, only you are able to do this, and you do do this. We pray that you would convince each man, woman, boy, and girl in this room of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Bless this message for your glory. In Christ's name we pray.